Our second reading for today comes from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 13, beginning with the 10th verse. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and just then there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over and quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. When he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, There are six days on which work work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured, not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites, do not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? When he said this, all his opponents were put to shame, and the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things that he was doing. Here ends our second reading. Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, today, on the Christian Sabbath, Sunday, we get the chance to run across a passage and wrestle with the concept of Sabbath today in our lives. Whether you realize it or not, the Congregationalists actually have a big role in uh, lifting up Sabbath observance in American history. Because it was the Reformed tradition, it was the Congregationalists and Presbyterians that were the ones that made such a big deal about the Sabbath, starting way back in the 17th century. It's not surprising. If you know anything about the Congregationalists, the early Congregationalists, they were big into the Hebrew Bible. If you go back through old genealogies, you see lots of names from the Hebrew Bible going back through old New England genealogies. And indeed, my father used to tell stories of visiting... Oh, poor kid. My father used to tell stories of going to visit his grandparents, my great-grandparents, on a Sunday. And whenever he visited them, these were good, strict Calvinists, my father would say, when he he visited his grandparents, they weren't allowed to play cards, they weren't allowed to watch any movies, they ate food that had been cooked the day before and were eaten as leftovers, you could go for walks, you could read the Bible, you could go to church, and then again, the only thing they did was make sure that that they fed the livestock on the farm. And that was it. That's all you could do on Sabbath day. Uh, How about you? Did you ever grow up with a Sabbath day observance? How about your parents or grandparents? Did they have a strict Sabbath day observance? How about this? How many people do you know that today have strict Sabbath day observances? (laughs) One of the things I find ironic is in our society you have... Certain segments of Christendom, um, particularly in America, that are very critical of things like LGBT inclusion or, say, for instance, ordaining women and allowing them to preach. Uh, And they base these strong statements on the fact that they take the Bible literally and they follow it literally. 
And the first thing I always think of, I'm like, well, what about those Ten Commandments? Because there's a commandment in there about observing the Sabbath that I don't think you take particularly seriously. I mean, if I were to go down to, say, Second Baptist Church down the street, or First Baptist, or any number of other churches, and ask people, how many of you observe the Sabbath, and what do you do for it? This is one of the Ten Commandments. And here you have people who are like, oh, they're good biblical literalists who carry about their business as normal on a Sunday. So what do we do with the Sabbath? Anything at all? It's interesting to look at this text that we have for today. It's actually one of several texts where Jesus gets into debates with Jewish leaders about the Sabbath, and they all have the same basic theme, this theme where Jesus critiques the Jewish leaders of the day for being uh, too literalistic or too strict or um, too focused on minute details in the Sabbath uh, rather than letting the Sabbath be what it's intended to be. In this case, Jesus is healing on the Sabbath, something that Jesus obviously sees as being appropriate to do on the Sabbath. But it's important to note here that Jesus is an observant Jew, just like the people in the synagogue. Jesus is not encouraging people not to observe the Sabbath, He's just pressing the people there to try and figure out what it actually means to them and why. What are the underlying purposes for the Sabbath? And why should you take it seriously, if at all? So why would you observe the Sabbath? What do you think? Why take it seriously? First thing that comes to mind is rest. I've preached about this many times before, but we we, we live in an over-busy society. I think most of us would agree with that. One of the things I was thinking about this past week is where did this come from? You, you dial back the clock to the 70s and 80s and you started to see a rapid increase in the amount of work that people were expected to do. So, for instance, lawyers and doctors and financiers starting in the 70s and 80s started to work 80, 90, 100 hours a week uh, just as a matter of course. That was a new thing starting then. And it's become the standard ever since then. Look at our high schools. So the high school I went to, I went to a private school in Boston. And in my high school, carried on a full course load, was a three-sport varsity athlete. I was the president of our Model UN organization, which was the largest student group on campus. I was the vice president of our debate club. I acted in several plays. I was the associate editor of the yearbook. And I was involved in the French club. I would wake up. I would work all day long. I would go to bed. And I'd do that for seven straight days, day at week in and week out. Because that's the way you get into elite colleges. That's what we're trained to do. So what do we do? We train our kids from high school to work all the time. 16-hour days, seven days a week. That's what's expected to get into elite school. And then once you get into an elite school, it's the same thing. You work those same kind of hours in these elite schools through extracurriculars and through these classes. And so one thing that you're trained to do when you graduate from elite colleges and universities in the United States, you're trained to do more than anything else is work hard. So when you go into these investment banking firms or you go into being a doctor or a lawyer, you're used to working these 16-hour days because it's the only thing you've known since the age, age of 14. Now, this, this really struck me when I, when I went over to England. So the year after I graduated college, I taught high school in England, again, at this elite private school, Eton College. And one thing that struck me about teaching at Eton was how lazy all these students were. (laughs) 
because they just didn't know what work meant. Like, I would give them an assignment that I thought was like nothing. And these students would be complaining mercilessly. And so I was like murdering them by giving them this reading assignment. And I'd go to my colleagues on the faculty and be like, well, what are you assigning them? And they'd be assigning them like a fraction of what I was assigning them. And I was like, I, I didn't think I was being particularly cruel. Um, a number of my friends went over after, because the economy was bad, a number of my friends from college went over and did graduate work in England, um, particularly at Oxford and Cambridge. And one of the things they said was, wow, these people really don't work that hard. Uh, the, the Bodleian Library uh, at Oxford, uh, the main library at Oxford's campus, is one of these libraries that doesn't allow you to check out books. So you can only do your studying while you're at the library. And of course, the library only has certain hours. So I had these friends of mine who were in uh, doctor, doctoral programs in England being really frustrated, being like, I'm used to working and reading 16 hours a day, and they don't let me do that at Oxford. <laughs> Uh, this frustration, this frustration of Americans is not working. Or I remember being in uh, divinity school and this one student, a Japanese student who went to the University of Tokyo, um, who was a super nice guy. I remember talking to him about stuff. He's like, gosh, Americans work hard. That's what we're trained to do. And so it's like, yeah. What's the Sabbath for? Maybe a little bit of break. Maybe we need a break. I learned that the hard way when I worked at a church in Iowa and I was working seven days a week, week in and week out. I technically had Friday and Saturday off, but I never took them. I would go months without a day off. Months. And anxiety built up so much that I was having heart palpitations. I wasn't sleeping at night. I remember getting, going to the doctor and getting checked up on all these different things. and I didn't know what was wrong with me. It turned out what was wrong with me. I actually needed a break. How many people here would like rest in their week? Imagine that. Imagine what this Charlotte is nodding. Imagine what rest would be like for one day a week. Think of how transformative that might be. Rest. Not rocket science. But there are other reasons for keeping the Sabbath. There's a famous book that came out by Walter Brueggemann. He's a UCC theologian and biblical scholar. Walter Brueggemann wrote about the Sabbath as resistance. Hmm. Sabbath is resistance. That we live in uh, an unapologetically capitalist society. Capitalism has given us the bounty of possessions that we have today. Um, the amount of stuff that we're, that we're able to accumulate is because of the great brilliance of market forces uh, and self-interest and the production and exchange of capital. Isn't this wonderful? The downside of capitalism, of course, is that it treats people uh, only insofar as they are objects in this great consumerist culture. Um, that you go on the internet or you open any magazine, turn on any radio, and what are you taught? You need more. You want to be happy? I'll tell you what you can be happy. Go buy more. You'll be happy that way. Oh, keep buying more. You need more. You really do need more. Trust me, this new item, you really need this. This gets drilled into us again and again and again. That's what makes us happy. And again, Brueggemann is saying Sabbath is the ultimate act of resistance against this. Because it's a way of human beings saying, you know what, there's a certain point at which you have enough. You don't have to work that seventh day. It's okay if you don't get to buy that extra thing. Because in the end, that's not what matters most. In our society, that is an ultimate act of resistance. It actually would have been true, as Brigwood points out, in it for the ancient Israelites. Again, there are two lists of the Ten Commandments. Two lists of the Decalogue. The first is in the book of Exodus. And in the book of Exodus, when God commands uh, 
the Israelites to rest. God commands the Israelites to rest because God worked on six days in creation and then rested on the seventh. But there's a second listing of the Ten Commandments, and that comes in Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy, there's a different explanation given for respecting the Sabbath. That you should honor, observe the Sabbath because you were once slaves in Egypt. That there was once a time where you were forced to work seven days a week. There was once a time where your oppressor just used you as an object. There was once a time where that was your reality. And now that it's not, you can express that resistance against the powers that be by taking a day off. Sabbath as resistance. When I worked at this church in Iowa, one of the great things they had was a theologian in residence program. So this is a very well-endowed lectureship where they brought in some of these leading thinkers and scholars for a weekend to come in. Just like we're about to do for John Bell coming up at the beginning of October, this church did every year. And the first year I arrived, the theologian in residence that year was a woman named Marva Dawn. Now, I was not familiar with Marva Dawn's books, and so, like any good preacher, I went out and bought all of her books <laughs> so I could read them before she showed up and started her lectures. And her most famous book, the one that was the bestseller, is called Keeping the Sabbath Holy. Holy spelled W-H-O-L-L-Y. A little nice play on words. And one of the points that Dawn brings up, and she's someone who respects the Sabbath intensely, she says one thing that she loves about the Sabbath is what it does to her conception of time. What is the most valuable commodity that you have in your life? It is your time. Not any possession that you have. The most valuable thing you have is your time. And so often in our lives, we have obligations where we're forced to use our time in one way or another. We have to shuttle the kids this way and that way. We have to go to work. We have to do this. We have parents to take care of. We have other things, other obligations that are always pressing on us. There are these endless obligations on our time. But, as Marva Don says, for her, when she has a Sabbath... It gives her a chance, one day a week, to embrace the concept of time and be intentional about how you spend time. Imagine if you had a day where you didn't have any chores to do. You had no work to do. Every week you had that one day. What would you do with it? You know that hobby you always wanted to explore? Imagine if you could actually do it. Those books that you want to read because you know they'll make you a better person, a better educated person, a broader-minded person, a happier person. That should be the time to do it. You want to devote yourself to going to visit art museums in the city of Houston. And so you take a Sabbath practice of going to an art museum every single week. Or some other arts show to enrich your life. You decide to be intentional about time with your kids... Not in an overscheduled way, but you decide to think about one way you want to spend time with your kids on this Sabbath day, and that's the way you respect the Sabbath. Being intentional about time, what a gift. But of course, there's another reason why we might take the Sabbath seriously, and that's the simple reason that God commands it. God commands it very straight, in a very straightforward fashion, take this seriously. Do this. That if we want to be people who are people who respect God and obey God, one of the things that we should take seriously is maybe we should take this Sabbath practice seriously. Maybe it's something we should carve out 
and do. It's amazing how radical this is. When I, when I was in my sophomore year in college, my uh, fall of my sophomore year, I took a religion course. And I remember first day, sat there and my teaching fellow, teaching assistant, just told us, he said, by the way, if you send me an email or do anything between Saturday at sunset and Sunday at sunset, I won't respond to you because I observe the Sabbath. And like, you could have heard a pin drop in the classroom. No one ever heard of this thing. I mean, people were, this is a religion class. And people were just flabbergasted that someone would actually not work um, at a major research university for a whole day. I mean, this was just like mind boggling. But he said this was a religious practice. This is what God commanded him to do. And that's what he did. One day off in seven. And I remember when I was in graduate school uh, running into this guy. Uh, things actually worked out pretty well for him. <laughs> he went from a graduate student at Harvard to getting a tenure track job at Yale. So this Sabbath practice clearly didn't hurt his career. Um, but it was a way that he could honor God. I remember one of the lessons that one of my teachers had the first day of class in graduate school. Uh, she came in with a jar. And she had a bunch of pebbles and then a few big stones. And she started off and she's like, when you're in graduate school, you're going to find out that there are all these different things that you have to get done. And she started putting all these pebbles into the jar, one after another, after another, after another. Uh, and eventually, there are also some other big things that you need to get done. And so she started putting the big rocks in. And of course, there wasn't enough space for all of them in the jar. So she dumps it all out. And she said, one thing you have to realize in graduate school is what are the big rocks? And put those in first. And what's amazing is once you do that, the other things actually find a way to fill in. And it all fits in the jar. This is the beginning of a new programmatic year, a new school year. Uh, You can think, I can see some of the parents in here too, thinking of all the things that are coming up this year. You can think of all the stuff that lays in front of you in this year. And as we read this text for this morning, one of the things I get out of it is a challenge for us to reconsider the concept of Sabbath. Is there a way that we can carve this out and what might it look like for you? It won't be the same for you as it is for someone else. Marva Don gives this great suggestion of actually embracing the Jewish practice of she at sunset on Saturday actually lights two candles and says uh, traditional Jewish prayer and then on Sunday at sunset lights two candles and says a traditional Jewish prayer to mark off in a ritualistic fashion her observance of the Sabbath. I don't know how you want to do it or what you want to do but I encourage you as you start this new year to take this, to take, take this concept seriously. I've been trying to wrestle with this myself. How can I honor the Sabbath in my life in order to give myself the rest that I need, in order to resist the consumerism of the world, in order to embrace intentionality with time, and to honor our commitment of God, commitment to God? Think about it.